The beauty of this podcast you're going to hear today with Stephen Souza is like a bunch of them over the years. The first time I met Stephen in person, uh, we have some mutual friends. The door opened, and here came this incredible breath of fresh air. And for one of the first times, you've maybe heard James Osborne, Boy Howdy, cackle in the background. But this one, Boy Howdy, really moved you in a bunch of different ways. It did. I was really thankful for just how honest he was and how clear it was, how his faith completely changed who he was. Many times baseball players play the game and there's unwritten rules. Baseball players, I think more than any other athletes that I've been around in my life, that they follow. So sometimes transparency and being an open book is hard to get to, but that wasn't the case with Steven. Steven was very forthright with every step of his career, whether it was failing a drug test as a minor leaguer and taking responsibility for that and explaining exactly what he did and admitting that he did it. That's not something we see from professional athletes all that much, especially in that realm, uh, to just going back and apologizing for the person he had been before he had a faith experience. A radical transformation in such a blunt and honest way. You can really enjoy this podcast and this opportunity. We had to sit down with Major League Baseball player Steven Sousa. Everett Washington boy, huh? Father's from Hawaii. Uh, moved up here, was in a band uh, during the time of Pearl Jam. Uh, Alice in Chains, I think, was up here in Nirvana. Moved up here to try and start uh, a rock band. At the same time, got a job at Boeing. So transferred out of there. Only guy from his family at that time to move away from Hawaii. So he grew up in Marysville, moved to Everett. Uh, my parents have been there ever since. Wow. So, yeah, it's Everett is, yeah, it's um, it's home. Like when I go back there, you know, all these memories kind of flow through. So, so are you the son of a rocker? My dad is one of the best drummers uh, I've ever seen. And uh, now I'm not a talent, right, uh, expertise by any means, but I have a cousin who's been in a band for about um, 20 years. He's been, that's probably a little bit much, probably about 15, 10, 15 years. Um and he's traveled all over the, the country, and he says, all the drummers he's seen, my dad is the best one to this day uh, in his prime that he's ever seen. And my dad will not talk about it. He won't talk about how good he was. He'll, he'll downplays it all the time. But uh, we have a drum set at my house, and whenever he gets on, it's magic. What was your home like growing up? It was a great home. My parents were very hardworking, blue collar. Uh, we went to church all the time. As long as I can remember until I was about four, 14 years old, we went to church. Um, Dad really instilled hard work in me from the beginning. And um, mom was just, uh, she stayed at home with us. Uh, And then as we got older, she started to work a little bit more. But uh, we went to church and uh, Jesus was kind of the center of our family for some point of our life, as long as I can remember. And then I got, uh, I started to get really good at baseball uh, right around middle school and teams that were around the state that select teams. Uh, asked me to come play for them, which was about an hour away from our house. Mm-hmm. Um, and then sports suddenly started to take over on the weekends instead of uh, church. And so once I reached about eighth grade, we stopped kind of going. I mean, we didn't really go for as long as I can remember in high school. And in high school, it just kind of continued. I just, I kind of got better. And then I hit this spot when I was about a sophomore or a freshman in high school where I was about five six, five four. I mean, I was small, hmm. and everybody else was growing, and I'm just this immature little kid with no hair under his armpits, 
Uh, Call that a late bloomer. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. You're a late bloomer. Yeah, and I was I was blooming real late. Um, <laughs> you know, there's a story where this girl uh, I went to high school who I'm our fam- family's really good friends named Liz Gross. She was like five eleven my f- uh, first year, like five ten, and I was like five four, and I couldn't even like I had to like jump to give her a high five. You know, <laughs> it was embarrassing. Yes. And uh, I just grew. Um, like my junior year and got really big. I, I got to be like 6'2", and my knees took a beating from it. Sure. Uh, Oscar Slaughter was my middle name at that point. Um, and I got big, and um, yeah, and as I got bigger, I got better. Um, and it was kind of like this weird blessing that looking back on it, um, when I was small, I had to learn how to play point guard and learn how to uh, be quick. And then learn how to like do like fine tune like skills because I, I didn't have the advantage of being tall. Mm-hmm. And then when I when I grew, it was like because I grew so late, like I wasn't one of those giraffes in like seventh grade. I I kind of like took that with me, and like sure. God just kind of like allowed me to to take that into my new you know given six two frame, and it really uh, set me off going on a whole different trajectory of life. So was dad was in the band and obviously very gifted in that way. Was sports like the center of home or was it really until you kind of found that gift in your high and high school that it took over? Yeah. Um, so dad was in the band. So I'd go to band practices with him till I was probably about six or seven years old. And then we, he just stopped. He just put it all down. He put it away. His band didn't really go anywhere. Um, and he realized that it was pretty much a dead end career path. I think up here, I, um, he was amazing. I know I'm probably going to be very biased. Like I can listen to his CDs now. The tracks, ama- I mean, it's amazing. Their singer wasn't that great, and so <laughs> as we all know, like if you don't got a good singer, it doesn't matter how good the band plays, right? Like yeah. you can play as good as you want. So um, sports quickly became the center. So I would play uh, soccer in the fall when I was young. I played basketball. I would play baseball when I got to middle school. I played football. Um, we just my parents believed in uh, structure and sports and. Mm-hmm. It was terrific, man. I, I was an ADD kid, and I needed some structure and to get some energy out, and sports was the perfect way for me to do was that. Was that always your dream then, when you say once you kind of got started? Yeah, I think so. I, you know, it's it feels like it's every kid's dream, but my grandma tells a story about when I was like seven years old, and my grandma asked me, she's like, what do you want to do when you get older? I said, Grandma, I want to play in the big leagues. And my grandma was like, "You, I mean, that's, that's really hard to do, Grant. I'm not trying to crush your dreams, but that's really hard to do, like – what do you want to do that's tangible? I said, no, Grandma, I'm going to play in the big leagues. That's what I'm going to do. Mm-hmm. Um, I I had no idea about that story or that I said that until I got to the big leagues and my grandma told me that wow. story, which is pretty cool. Wow. Yeah. So take us through the blooming then, right? So you have the skills. You said about junior high, late junior high, into high school. You're playing on these travel clubs. And then you explode in size. And you wanted to be a Coug, right? I did, yeah. So because I was such a late bloomer, you know, you see these kids that get like high prospect status. I didn't have mine until really late. Um, nobody really knew about me. I didn't have an opportunity to commit as a freshman or a sophomore. Um, mm-hmm. I I just got a lot of late looks, and the Cougs were the first ones to jump on. And so that kind of – I appreciated that. Like, I appreciated the fact that they, they saw me as a diamond in the rough that no one really saw. And then later on, it was a lot of colleges that came and wanted me to play. Not many wanted me to play football. A few Pac-12 schools, but uh, the Cougs wanted me to play football and baseball, which I really appreciated as well. Um, so yeah, you know, you're a kid that's, if I was six, three, my senior year, one ninety five in high school, that's a big kid. And I was playing receiver with a bunch of kids who are five, eight. And so I would, you know, I could run pretty well, you know, I was, uh, 
I was a, a center fielder shortstop type of guy. Mm-hmm. And so football really took over for me my senior year, and I really loved it um, and really embraced it. I wish I would have played more. Uh, and a part of me is like, ah, I, I always want to like a little bit of me. I know it's not realistic now that I'm 30, but I'm like, I can still go back and I think try, you know. <laughs> I just love football so much, the, the mentality of it. Uh, I really appreciate so it. So then how did the doors with baseball open? Yeah, so um, this tournament is called Area Code, the Area Code Games, and you have to get selected just to try out. And then out of those, it's basically the best players in the state from uh, Washington, Idaho, Montana, and Oregon. And they all get invited, and it was in Bend, Oregon. And you try out, and you run around, and you showcase your speed and all this. And out of those guys, they take a team of about, I want to say it was like 25. It it wasn't too many, maybe 30, because some guys just only pitched. And then you go down to Long Beach, California, and I made the team. I made the team. Um, and you go down to Long Beach, California, and you play now different regions of the country. So you play mm-hmm. uh, the southeast, southwest, central. You know, so it's if you're one of the best players in the country, you're at this tournament. It's pretty common, uh, at least during my time coming up. And uh, what put me on the map was the first game we played down there. Um, I was not in the lineup. It was one through nine, and I, I wasn't in the lineup. And you know, pre Jesus, I was I was pretty arrogant. And I would, I went up to the coach and I go, how am I not in this lineup right now? I need to be in this lineup. I'm lucky to just be on the team, right? Like, like it's an honor to be on this team, but I, I feel like I'm being, you know, shafted here. And so I'm saying, you know, you need to put me in the lineup. And he goes, you know, we got a lot of guys we got to play. And, you know, he's obviously listening to some 17-year-old that thinks he knows everything. Um, well, he comes back to me like 10 minutes later. He goes, you're in luck. We, we have to hit 10. And so he goes, you're going to hit 10. So I, I was literally hitting 10th. I was hitting last in the lineup. And so we go through the order, and on the mound is starting is the Boston Red Sox pitcher Rick Porcello, uh, who got drafted by the Tigers. Um, and he was a number one prospect. And he goes through the lineup one through nine, and he punches out uh, all nine, punches out everyone. It was unbelievable. And so I step up to the plate, and I'm like, you know, now I would probably be like, wow, this guy's actually pretty good. I, you know, I need to lock it in. But then I was like, this guy's got no chance, you know. <laughs> he doesn't even know. And I hit a base hit up the middle, line drive, first hit of the game. And so he comes out, and then a guy replaces him named Matt Harvey, who pitched for the Mets, right? Um, and he was a first-round pick. He goes one through nine. He punches out seven. And so we've, we've punched out through the lineup, and I come up, and I hit a double in the gap. So we only get three hits that game, and I got two of them. After that game, it was just it was game change. I ended up having a great tournament, um, and it changed our our family's like like life. We came home and there was thirty letters from MLB teams. We had voicemails saying teams wanted to come in and talk to our family. We had agents calling us, advisors at the time, um, calling us, and we just weren't prepared for this. So, are you a what? You're a senior in high I'm school. I'm going into my senior you're year. Going in your senior year. Yeah. So that's the summer before your senior year. Yeah. Now you have hair under your armpits. At I, I now at this Good. point I've got a lot of hair. <laughs> started to bloom. My voice is now a little bit yes. deeper. It doesn't sound like I'm got helium <laughs> in there. So what do you all do? I mean, you said it, it's a transformational time. This yeah. tournament unlocks like this future and this opportunity. Yeah. So it how was, overwhelming is that, or is it just hysteria? Yeah, I, I think it was. It was so unexpected, and we we when my parents never put pressure on me to do that, that we just kind of went with the flow, right? Like we just, all right, is this is this? We just asked for like wise counsel. Like, is this a real thing, or like like <laughs> if I get a letter from every team, do, do people like where is the point where it's like we should actually start preparing for this? So we kind of asked around, and I had a hitting coach at the time who kind of said like, no, this is this is a real deal. You're going to get drafted. Um, 
And I was lucky. I committed to WSU before going into that tournament. So it could have been mass hysteria if I hadn't committed. I was already prepared for college. And we were just thankful to have a college scholarship and sure. be able to have that paid for. So anything on top of that was a bonus. Um, but then scouts started coming in and sitting down with our family. And we started asking them, like, was this a real thing? Like, do you, you know, where do you see us getting taken? And one, I remember one scout from Pittsburgh told us, your son's going to go in the top three rounds. And he left the house, you know, at the time, like, oh, yeah, yeah, of course, of course we are, you know. <laughs> he left the house, and we were just like, uh, what do we do? You know, we, we had, now we got to find an advisor. We got to, like, change our plans. And my mom was like, well, let's not put all our eggs in that basket. Let's just take it day by day. Mm-hmm. And we did. Um, now that season was one of the craziest seasons um, that I've ever had in my life on a bad scale. Um mm-hmm. By the time leading up to the, my senior season, I was probably projected to go into the supplemental round. Like I was a high pick. Um, you know, I would I would run for scouts, and I you know I'm now I'm a six three guy running a four five four six forty uh, with power. It's it's what scouts look for out of high school, right? Like I don't have maybe everything put together as far as a player. Like I got a lot to learn, but tools wise, I could bring a lot to the table, mm-hmm. and that intrigued a lot of scouts. Now, what I really had not going for me was my character. I was a terrible teammate. I just I I had I had this idea that I couldn't seem weak at any time, right? Like I couldn't be compassionate. I had to always put on this macho bravado that okay, I, I'm the best. I'm going to let you know I'm the best and then if it doesn't seem like I'm the best, I'm going to go over the top to prove it. Um and that really like it was a cat it was like a a double-edged sword because it drove me in one area but at the same time, it drove people away. Mm-hmm. And so I ended up on this lonely island um, when I was in high school a lot of the time by myself, and I would just work at baseball. Um, but at the same time, like in my senior year, I got ejected twice. So one of them, um, I cursed at the catcher, and the the umpire's like, son, you can't curse in high school. You're, you're going to have to go ahead and be out of here. And I was like, yeah, and nah, I mean, for sure. You know, I mean, I knew the rules. You know, it's, there's nothing I can say. <laughs> Um, and then a second situation was like, looking back, it was like God trying to get my attention where there's no reason I should have been thrown out of this game. Um, and, but I did. And so I was suspended for the rest of the year when I, on a second time, that's the WIAA rules is if you get kicked out twice, you're, you're done for the year. You can't come back. And so I had to go in front of the board and present my case and they understood, they saw the situation. They let me play the last two games of the year, which really helped me. Mm. But uh, it dropped me down a lot uh, in the draft into the third round, which is still, again, a blessing. But uh, it, it was an eye-opening experience. It was like uh, God has to use like these dramatic experiences in my life because I'm a very stubborn, bullheaded person to get my attention and be like, look, I'm trying to direct you in a different area. Would you just stop fighting against my will and just see that I have the best for you? And this was one of the situations where once I got drafted, I was like, I know God's trying to get my attention, but man, this is so great. All right, let me just go back to doing that, you know? Yeah. So you ultimately get picked third round by the Nationals? Yep. All right. And you're now 18, 19. Yep. Wazoos, were they understanding that? I mean, they got it, right? They were understanding? They were mad. Okay. They were mad. Yep, they were mad. Um, I think at the time, the coach, he just really wanted me to come there, you know? And as any college coach was, I wouldn't blame him for that. Um, but he was mad. He, he kept wanting me to give him a number like, Hey, are you going to sign for this much? And I was like, I, I just don't know. I don't have an answer for you. Um, 
And rightfully so, he's got to figure out if he's got to replace me, right, with a recruit. It's just a tough situation for a college coach to be in. Um, And then once I got drafted, they wished me the best of luck. You know, they they weren't bitter against me, and I would go back to WSU and I'd see them, and it was great to talk to them. And um, still, to this day, if I see Trent Jewett, I still uh, would talk to him, and he's an awesome guy. Um, So I got drafted, though, and I really, uh, Brock, I just stunk. Like, I was bad. I mean... I would show these flashes in months at a time of like just taking over the league. Um, but as a whole, I was a very inconsistent player. Mm. Um, and so for four years, I just was bad. Um, and what kept eating at me was this like uh, bust, bust, drafted bust prospect. And like people should have seen the signs. In 2010, I started having this great year. And um, make- and what year was that for you? You were drafted in what year? 2007. You were drafted yep. in 07. Yep. And you start out at the bottom. Start out at the bottom. High school kid. Got High school work kid. Grind. One eighty-seven. My first year. That's not ideal to hit in the league. <laughs> <laughs> um, my second year, I get called up to low A and hit two seventy for thirty games. But I made thirty errors in like thirty games. I mean, it was like impressive the amount of errors I made. Um, and they so they send me down not because of offense, but just go work on your defense and figure that out. Um, it killed me that I got sent down because I felt like I was having success. Uh, so I go to short season, struggle there, hit 220. Mm. Um, the next year, go to 2009 now, um, go back to low A. So this is my second stint there. I hit 225. Um, they sent me back there again, 2010, and crushing it. Uh, I'm leading the league in RBIs, homers, everything, finally starting to click and feel good. And I make this really poor decision. Um, we got off the bus back from Hick. I think we're at Hickory uh, or Lakewood, and uh, we're driving back after a six-hour bus ride. And I was gassed, and so guys can take Adderall and uh, Concerta with a TUE, a therapeutic use exemption. TUE is the acronym, um, and you just got to get it approved by an MOB doctor. And um, you can take it. Well, I took one out of a guy's locker, and lo and behold, we get drug tested the next day. And those half lives they last thirty-six hours, so I can't outrun it, right? Like. Um, there's nowhere to go. So I, I take the test and then at that point I'm a ticking time bomb, right? Like I, I know what's going to happen. Is that a stimulant for those that are listening? That's yep. you, baseball is such a grind. It's yep. such a drag and the yep. minors you're on all these bus trips mm-hmm. and long bus trips. So that is just a stimulant to try to get you going. Yeah. Yeah. There's no like, like muscle boost or anything like that. There's no, it's just literally a 24 hour like energy and focus boost. That's really what it is. There's different ways that you can do that, right? And this is just the one of the illegal ways if I don't have a TUE that I can do it. And, um, yeah, I, I, at that point, once I, once I took the test for the next six weeks, I just struggled. I just knew what was happening. I couldn't stop thinking about it. So I went from hitting like 290 all the way down to like 210. Um, so I remember going to the All-Star game. And I was starting the game at third base, and I, I look up on the board, and it's just like it's like two twenty eight with like fifteen. Just and I'm like the only guy hitting like this in the All Star game. But at the time when I got voted, that's how quick the crash was. At the time, I was you know one of the best hitters in the league, and so um, it was embarrassing. And uh, probably about a week later after the All Star game, I slide into second base and I break my thumb. So I'm done for the year. There's only six weeks left, six to eight weeks with a broken thumb. I had a avulsion fracture. That same day, there's 50 games left in the season. That same day, the farm director comes and tells me, you've been suspended for uh, Adderall. And 
I said, he goes, you want to appeal it? I said, yeah, uh, of course I want to appeal it. It wasn't me. You know what I mean? Um, and he looked at me and I love this guy to this day. His name is Doug Harris. Like one of the, probably like my father in baseball, essentially. Mm -hmm. Um, he says, look, you're done for the year. There's 50 games left. You need to serve a 50 game suspension. I mean, it was crazy. Like 50 game suspension. There's 50 games left. I'm already done for the year. He's like, you need to serve this right now. Like, you need to just get it behind you. So I did. Mm. And uh, it was embarrassing. I mean, it was for sure. my family especially, I think. You know, it's on ESPN. And I come home and everybody's, you know, everybody's looking at you. You're staring at you, knowing what you did. You know, you made a mistake. And it's a stupid mistake. But, you know, it's a different life when your mistakes are broadcasted uh, every moment. Because we all make mistakes in life. But it's the responsibility that comes as a professional athlete. Right? Like, mm. I got to be able to going up to the the junk that I do. So the cool thing about this podcast, the intersection of faith and sports, right? Mm-hmm. So that's a that's the sports journey. Where is the faith element through those four and five years on bus rides, struggling? Am I a bust? Like, just try. Is there a faith component that is growing in you? Are there no. mentors? No, definitely. So I look back on that time, and there's people trying to get my attention, right? Like, oh yeah, Jeff Mandel tried to take me aside. Oh, yeah, Darnell Cole said something to me. Uh, Andrew McCown said something to me. You know, like these people like tried to like get to me. I was, I was blocked, right? Like I had worldly goals and you couldn't do it. The, the caveat is at times I would just pull out my Bible and say, where does God want me to read? Okay, he's trying to say this to me today. And then I'd close and I wouldn't open it up for like a couple more months, you know? And so I never stopped believing in God. I just, I just had Jesus in the corner, like, Okay, when things go bad, I'm really gonna need you. But I got it. I got it the rest of the time, mm-hmm. um, and I didn't really, really fully grasp who Jesus was in these moments. Right? Like, I knew that um, he died for me. That God sent His Son and died for me. I knew John sixteen three sixteen like the back of my hand, um, and I knew that um, in order, I just had to believe in Him and I go to heaven. Um, that was it. That's all I knew. Mm-hmm. And so I just didn't want to go to hell. I wanted to go to heaven. Um, and I thought that all I had to do was say, Jesus, I believe you. I believe that you came here and died. And then I was good, right? Like, that's it. So this whole time, I'm just living like that. Mm. So the next year, I'll, I'll, this is, it's really, it's really quick to turn it around. Jesus is really about to say, all right, look, I've had enough, right? Like, I, he's about to call me home here soon. <laughs> and uh, the next year, I, so I, I was about 6'4 now at this point, about 205 consistently. So I gained about 15 more pounds of muscle. So now I'm 6'4", 220, and I'm, I come back next year, and I'm dominating in 2011. All's been forgotten. In the first month, I just am killing it. They move me up a level, and then I just hit a plunge, and I get into this big depression. Um, a lot of things happen with me. Uh, I lost a couple of friends that year, not, even, not to death or anything. They just, like, deserted me. And so I'm left alone. And at the end of the year, I get in this argument with the manager – he benches me for violating team rules, and he I'm taking BP, and I'm pouting, and I'm hitting lazy, and he says, get out of the cage. And I, I said, I'll do you one better. I'll go home. So I quit baseball. 2011, I'm done. I'm driving home. I'm supposed to go to instructional league, and I call the farm director said, I'm done. And he goes, just go home and think about what you're doing here, and we'll give you a call. You don't have to come to um, instructional league, but just go home, and before you make a rash decision, think about what you're doing. And so I did. I went home, and instead of, like, rash thinking, I, I kind of went, like, the prodigal son route, right? Like, I tried to experience everything 
um, drinking, you know, smoking, uh, which I didn't really smoke a ton for some reason. Like it's like the one thing I didn't touch growing up. But like at this moment, I was at my, I was at rock bottom, and so I was trying anything to fill this hole that I could feel because baseball had filled that for so long. Now it had been ripped from me, and I'm like, I, I know there's something missing. I need to replace it. And um, I tried. I emailed Pac-12 coaches, and I got a bunch of emails back. UW, actually, I think Sarkeesian was there at the time, if I can remember. Emailed me back. I said, I don't need a scholarship. I just need a walk-on opportunity because um, I can pay for my scholarship. And so they're like, hey, um, we'd love to have you come out um, on these days and, and try out. So when he emailed me back, I remember looking um, and thinking in my mind, like, is this something, is this like, am I changing my life right here? And, and why am I doing this? Mm-hmm. And it just, I, I was hesitant still to do that. And so I went on this kind of journey. I don't, I don't know, I do know what led me to it. I went to this wedding and uh, his name was Rick Hag. And he was a guy that was trying to get my attention as well. Like solid believer, great dude. Um, lived with him in high A. Well, he's getting married, and um, he's telling me that he saves himself from marriage. I'm like, why would you, why would you do that? That's stupid. Like, you know, you don't even know what you're missing out on. And <laughs> I, uh, I see him and his and his bride walking together, and he's standing up there, and I'm I'm watching this, and the look that he has on his face um, to see his bride is different than other weddings I've been to, and I've known people, and I won't name names, but they, I knew they had slept together before. And, and not to say that that's, I'm against, or like I'm here, sitting here condemn that, but I could just see the different look and the excitement he had for his wedding night because he was about to pursue something that um, he hadn't experienced yet. For some reason, my soul was like, this, this feels right. Like, this feels like this is how it should happen. Like, it shouldn't just be another night. Um, and then on top of that, his sister was gorgeous, and I wanted to date her. But she loved Jesus. And so I'm, I'm thinking, all right, if I'm going to date this girl, like i got to step up my Jesus game, right? Like i got to really do it. So I go home, <laughs> and I'm trying to talk to her while she's at the wedding, and she wants nothing to do with me, right? She's like, I can clearly see you're, you're not following Jesus, right? And I'm like, all right, i got to go home. i got to open up. i got to find out these things. My buddy Michael Taylor, who was instrumental in my faith, um, he was one, the best man at my wedding. He would constantly ask me, hey, how, you know, how's God doing in your life? I'm like, yeah, he's good, dude. Of course. Let's talk about something else, you know? Um, and, but I went home and he challenged me to watch these things. And I, I started getting into the word and trying to figure out you know, how I'm going to talk to uh, her name was Michelle. And um, I'm like, all right, I need to come up with these things. Maybe send some verses over to her. But I'm, <laughs> so it's ridiculous, right? Like you said, you see it now and it, it's unbelievable. But God, but the cool thing about the situation is God still uses my, you know, ridiculousness for his kingdom. Right. And so I start opening his word and it's, I'm done from there. Like, I'm like, whoa, okay, hold on. Let me, let me reread that for a second. And now I'm like starting to like go through the pages, like with no, like, okay, I need this for, this is just interesting. Like I never knew this growing up. Mm. And so I'm starting to read and there's, there's actually instructions in here about life about, Hey, stay away from this. Hey, it's best if you do this. Hey. And so I start reading these things. I'm like, man, this is life changing stuff right here. Mm-hmm. And, um, my buddy Brent Lillibridge, uh, who I worked out with at the time, he would go to play catch one day and I go, Hey man, you think, uh, you think I could come to church with you one day? He's like, yeah, yeah, it'd be great. So I go to this church and all I can remember from my childhood is that when these people were baptized when I was a kid, they seemed different, right? They proclaimed this faith and, and they seemed different and they would talk about those differences. 
So I remember being at the church and not not even remember what the pastor talked about. I don't even remember. I just remember standing at one of those bulletin cards, and on the bottom it says, do you want to be baptized? And for some reason, this is the first time at this church, I click yes, right? Like, all right, put yes, put it in the offering basket. And, and so it wasn't until, that was about like December 27th or something like that. And uh, the baptisms were a month away. So I, it wasn't like an emotional decision, which like if it was the next day, I think that would have been bad. So I think God was protecting me from like, this, the the parable of the seeds, right? Like throwing them into the rocks, sprouting up quick, and then getting burnt out. And so I had a month. And during that month, I just dove into Scripture. And as I wrote Scripture, uh, God just slowly started to rip these things away, change my perspective. And then when I got baptized, it was like I had mud on my eyes the whole time. Like I couldn't see things clearly, and I saw the world completely different. Mm-hmm. And I, I explain this to people and try and get it across. But if you knew me before, like it— it was just a different person. It was like a, a change of like what happened to Paul or Saul, you know, like he was persecuting Christians. And then now he's, he's going out and telling people, look, you, you need to follow Jesus, right? Like go from killing to saving people. I wasn't, do, I wasn't that extreme, but I mean, I was living a completely different life. Um, and I wasn't even claiming to be a Christian. I would just say, yeah, I'm a Christian. Right. Mm. Um, and then it changed. It was just like, I need to tell people about what they can receive from this guy, Jesus, and what he's done for them and what God's done for them and what's changed in my life. Mm-hmm. And so uh, I called the farm director back uh, for the Nationals, and I said, hey, I would love to come back. And uh, he goes, you know, you've, you've made, you're have you not a bad kid. You just made some bad decisions. Um, and he goes, we'd love to have you back. There's going to be some consequences, but we'd love to have you back. And so I I called the manager and apologized to him, and which was completely different for me. Like somebody told me when I was really young, don't apologize because it'll make you seem like you're weak. And I was like, all right, that's that's what I'm going to live by then. You know what I mean? And so for me to call and apologize him was very different for me um, and just put it on the line. And he wasn't expecting it. He knew me, you know, and we that manager and I had been together for three years. So he knew all about me. Um, and I went back and – it was it was more of like there had to be so much focus on like Jesus because people number one didn't believe me right I had built up enough reputation to not believe me and number two um, yeah I they were waiting for the fakeness to come out right like when things got good for you now are you gonna turn back um, and then there was a lot of wounds that I had given people so really it was just the first year was like me going around and basically apologizing to people like, Hey, look, I, I know that I don't deserve your, your respect or your trust, but I'm just telling you how sorry I am, um, for what I've done. And I'm, I'm trying to follow Jesus and be a changed man. And I know that may sound crazy, but, um, he's changed my life and I'm going to do the best I can to honor you from here on out. Mm-hmm. And people, people heard that. And at the same point, they're like, yeah, all right, we'll see. Um, and I mean, I called like, I probably went way above and beyond, but I just had this like extreme conviction. And I saw, like I said, I saw my life differently that I started calling like girls who I dated in the past and been like, look, you are a, you are a daughter of the King. And the way I treated you was not like that. And I am so sorry for that. Um, and those girls were taken back, right? Like, um, I, I, again, like they, they never seen that from me. And I I didn't want to like, I didn't pursue any of these girls that I apologized to. I just wanted them to know, like, this isn't how you should be treated. Like you should be treated like a daughter of the king. Mm. Um, and I don't know what that did for them in their lives. Um, 
But I knew that I had to do that for me to get it off of my chest. And so I went in, and it wasn't till about probably about halfway through the year. Well, let me rewind. I get so I get hurt in spring training, and I I have to get um, a PRP injection. I don't make the team out of camp. I get sent down a level. They change me position, so it's like this chaos that's happening. And I'm in extended spring training, which is not where you want to be. It's basically you didn't make a, an affiliated team, and you're basically all that's left. You're on fire for the Lord. Yeah. The scales are coming off. You feel this immense conviction to to repair bridges, and then boom, you get injured, and boom, you get sent down, and boom, you get changed positions. Did that test did that test this? Were you screaming like, Lord, how I'm trying to follow you. I'm trying to abide in you. And you're just not, did that test? Yeah. Yeah. Faith in that moment. Totally. And I had an amazing mentor at the time. Uh, His name was Phil Manginelli. He's now has a church in Atlanta, but he was up in Mill Creek at the time. And um, I called him and said this to him. I'm like, Hey, like I'm following Jesus and I'm doing everything I can. But they're sending me back here, and I don't want to go there. Like, before they told me, I could see it happening, right? Like, I I could see the pieces playing out. And he said this amazing thing to me, which I still think about to this day, and I still use. He said, you know, one of the reasons why David was chosen was because God believed that the way he tended for his sheep, he would tend for the people of Israel when he became king. He wouldn't change. And he's like, God is sending you where he needs you, which is low A right now. And he's doing it, and yeah, you have some wounds, but you need to take care of those people. So you need to go where God sends you, and and take care of those people. And it just hit my my heart, and this peace just flooded me. And I was like, "All right, I got to go back there." And I hated this place, Brock. Like Hagerstown, Maryland, is like my nightmare. The people hated me there. I've played terrible for four years there. Nobody wants me there, right? And I'm like, Jesus, just don't send me back there. Look, I'll serve you to the end of my days, but you can't send me there, right? And it's like the story of Jonah, right? Like Jonah yes. didn't want to go. Go to Nineveh. He didn't want to go to Nineveh. Uh-uh. He didn't want those people. I did not want to go to Hagerstown, you know? I didn't want to see, be seen as a failure getting set down. I was ready to get booed my first at bat there. And God's like, you're going to Hagerstown. And I was like, all right, here we go, Jesus, you and me. And so... Still, like, I'm still young in my faith, right? I'm still learning what it means to walk with Christ. And so the first day I get there, I'm like, all right, I'm going to dominate and get out of here real quick. And I go 0 for 5 with 3Ks. <laughs> and so I, I'm sitting on my locker, and everybody's left already after the game. We're in Rome, Georgia. And uh, I am just like, all right, God, I'm I'm done. Like, I'm done trying. I'm done trying to play for this game. Just take me where you need me. Who needs me here? What do I need to be doing here? That this is what I want to be about. I want to be about your kingdom from now on. Um, and the ironic thing is, the day before, like when I got there, one of the guys on the team met with me at Firehouse Subs, and he's like, "Hey, look, we got a good thing going here. We got a great group. We just really don't want you to mess it up." That's a real thing. Like that doesn't happen very often. Like you don't go. And I'm a I'm a quote unquote veteran of the minor leagues. Like I've got four years in. Like I'm not some seventeen year old kid. So for for someone to say that, they were pretty nervous that I was a, a bad guy. And I go, hey, look, man, I'm not here. I'm just here to fit in. I'm just here to be about God's kingdom and anything I can do to help. But I can promise you I'm not here to screw it up. He goes, oh, okay, okay. And it was one of the best years of my life. Um, I was able to share the gospel with uh, a buddy of mine who I seen come to Christ. And um, not only that, come to Christ and then flourish. Like 
I love seeing people come to Christ. Mm-hmm. And then I love seeing people like come to Christ and then flourish in the gospel and then like take it on, right? Like that's what we're supposed to be, multipliers, right? Share the gospel. Then you go out and share it and you disciple people. And that's what he did. Um, and so through this journey in the minor leagues, um, that's really what I like focused. That's all I focused on was like, okay, where's an opportunity to share the gospel? Who can I do it? Not, not like pushing it, but just like patiently waiting to, for God to go before me. And my focus was so clear on that. And at the same time, like I'm not health and wealth prosperity gospel. Like I don't believe, Hey, you follow Jesus. You're going to get a big home and everything's going to be great. I just experience tells me the latter. Right. And the Bible tells me the latter as well. Like Jesus says, blessed are the persecuted for the, the kingdom of heaven is theirs. And so, um, but like the freedom of not having the pressure to be the greatest in the game and just to be able to go play and have fun and, and use the gifts God gave me allowed me to have success. Like I, I could have success because I wasn't in my own way anymore. I was able to just play and freely. It wasn't about you. No, it wasn't about me. It, 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 that's exactly what happened. It was about how can I help this team win? How can I help these people in their lives? How can I be a light in a dark place? Like, that's what it was all about. Yeah. And at the same time, I, now I just, I wasn't rooting against people. You know, like before I was like, this guy can't do well because I need to move ahead of him. It was just like, no, I want, I just want everybody to see what Jesus has done. So let me come alongside these guys, encourage them in tough times and let them know, hey, I'm here for you. You got this, man. Like little stuff like that. And uh, man, Jesus just blessed me along the way of meeting so many great people. And, um, you know, I remember getting to AAA. And I had and this was still with the Nationals. This is still with the Nationals. Mm-hmm. So I'm in year five with the Nationals, or six. Year six with the Nationals. So I spent four years in low A, and then I got to AAA in like a year and a half. Like mm-hmm. it was insane. It's a weird path. Um, and uh, but Jesus doesn't do the the ordinary, right? Yes. And so and you don't recommend it for others. I, w- I would years. say <laughs> just try and just learn at every level and get there. You know, that's probably your best bet yes. there. Um. To be, to, to be fair along those lines and to add a little context, guys struggle for four years at low A, you're usually done, right? No, it, it, third round pick, 26th round pick, whatever. Like, Doesn't matter. Yeah, you get usually a learning curve, but if it's four years of struggle, yeah, the numbers pretty much tell you. You're not going to make it. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I haven't really thought about that too much, but when you say it like that, it's like, yeah, no doubt. Like. I remember going to a, a game, and I don't know where ever, the Everett Aquasocks, are they low Short A? Season. Just below low A. Just below yeah. low A. And I remember talking to a baseball guy there, like, how many of these guys make it? Like, uh, none. Yeah. Like, almost none of them ever make it. Yeah. Like, you know, this is yeah. just a short season. These are high school. Like, it's a flyer yeah. at best. Yeah. And if you spend four years at low A through all those trials and all those struggles, I bet you you look at the numbers, you're not it's, seeing many big leaguers. No, totally. And I had watched third round – like the two guys drafted in front of me the years four oh six and oh five, third round picks, or one was the third, one was the second. They they spent three years and they were done. They were out. Yeah. So for me to stick around was strange, right? Like they just like Doug Harris was the guy, and he just wouldn't give up on me. I don't know what it was. He just wouldn't give up on me. I and, know what it was. Yeah. <laughs> I think the Lord had no doubt, no doubt, and. It, it was just amazing that like that, that I got I get to this point. So I get put on the big league roster um, in the off season of 2013, and I go into AAA, and I go into um, I go into big league camp, 
and I I kill it. Like I hit like 370 with three homers in big league camp, um, and lead the like lead the league in hits and RBIs, and I get sent down. Um, and there was no room for me. Like I I needed to go to AAA, but um, I was okay. Like everybody was expecting for me to be upset. Like. Just because now it was the big leagues at stake, everybody was expecting for me to be like, "Oh man, I you know I I hate this. I should be I should deserve this," and I was just like, "Guys, how am I supposed to doubt God now at this point? Like He's taking me where He needs me to go, and I'm gonna keep following to this point." Mm-hmm. And so I go to AAA and I struggle out the gate in AAA. It's like 31 degrees in Syracuse, New York. It's snowing on opening day. And I can't feel my – I'm wearing, like, soccer goalie hands on the first game of the year. I can't feel anything. And I just struggle. I struggle for a couple for a couple games. And by the seventh game, I get called up to the big leagues. And I make my big league debut. Um, and I, I get a hit while I was up there. I was only up there for a week because a guy got a concussion. So I got called up at, at the night. Um, but that moment, it was just like I, – I, I had to sit back and be like, how – I mean, like, I just praised Jesus. I was just so thankful for this moment because this was a dream as a kid. Mm-hmm. But it, it was shoved to the side, right? Like, it was just like, yeah, I would love for this to happen, but Jesus, I'm, I'm about your kingdom. And I genuinely meant it. I didn't want, like, okay, if, I, if I'm if i about your kingdom, then I can have this. It was just, no, I'm about your kingdom, like, wherever you need me. Mm-hmm. And he just blessed me uh, with this dream. Um, and it was just, it was awesome. I mean, that was one of the coolest moments um, of my career. Mm. Yeah. And then, you know, you've been with the Nationals the last six years, four all-star games. Yeah. It's just been, it's just yep. been gravy since, right? Yeah. So then I, yeah, <laughs> I hit 330 with 30, won three MVPs, yeah. and it was fantastic. And praise the Lord. Thanks for yep. joining the podcast. Hope you enjoy it. <laughs> you guys have a great day. Follow Jesus, and, uh, you know, you can be uh, rich and prosperous. Thanks for having me, Brock. Oh, well, man. So I get traded that off season. Yes. Um, and... <laughs> I was in a doctor's room, and they are about to give me a PRMP injection. And the doctor, I'm sitting there for 30 minutes. I mean, he had already, like, saw me. Is this in your elbow? This is in my knee, uh, my patella tendon. Platelet-rich plasma yep. injection, yep. PRP. Yeah, okay. it's basically just like a, for those who don't know, it's like a speedy speedy healing. Yep. Um, and it's legal. It is legal. <laughs> it is yes. legal. Yes. The team was doing it, so we yes. know it's legal. <laughs> um yeah, so this I, is after you've been traded. No, this is so I'm in the office and I'm sitting there like 30 minutes go by, and this is like December, right after uh, Nats Fest. And I'm like, I peek my head out. I'm like, hey, I'm still here. I haven't gotten my injection. Like, can we get this done? And uh, awesome doctor Wimmy Dewogi walks back in. And he goes, hey, I, I can't do the injection right now. I'm like, what do you mean you can't do the injection? I, I'm I'm leaving back for Seattle tomorrow. I don't have like an opportunity to to like sit around and wait. Like, we got to do this now. And he goes. I can't tell you, but I can't just I just can't do it right now. Well, I had been traded while I was in the doctor's office. And so they weren't legally allowed to give me the injection anymore without the Tampa Bay Rays consent. And so um yeah, it was that was crazy. And so I get traded there and I'm I'm sad to leave this chapter behind because like leaving there, it was like watching all this stuff God built. Um but I was I was done there. Like God, God had did use me what He needed me to do there, and He was moving me on now, which is cool, right? Like yeah. new adventure, new place to go. And um, I go to Tampa, and it was just it was a trying couple of years. Like I broke my hand twice. Um, I had weird seasons. Like I was a, a two win player my rookie year, which is really good, but I hit like two twenty with like 
17 homers in 100 games because I broke my hand twice. Mm-hmm. Um, so, like, there was – it was, like, weird. It was, like, I was kind of struggling, but I was also kind of having success. So, um, the next year, uh, again, like, start really well and, and having a really good year, and I – my hip, like, is feeling strange, and I end up tearing my labrum. Um, and I'm able to, again, have enough success where it's, like, like I can play at this level. Like, people are not doubting that I, I just need to be on the field. And um, I got hip surgery that off season in sixteen, and so it was. It's just been a grind. And I remember asking God, I was like, God, I just, I just would, I'd love to be healthy for a year. You know, I know, I know that I'm asking, you know, a secular thing right now, and and I know it's, I'm frustrated at this point, but I'm just like, I just want to be out there and enjoy what you what you've done for me. And it's funny along that off season, um, for some reason we God like took me away from that and was just like. The, the motivation was joy. Like, no matter where you are, no matter what you're going through, just play with joy. And I just had my son um, that off season, And so going into 17, it was just about joy. Like, I'm just going to play this season with joy. And I was pumped. And I have um, a breakout year. I'm on the field for 150 games. Coming off hip surgery now, I didn't have any time to work out or anything. I just rehabbed all off season, And so I get to um, – you know, I get to the end of the year, and uh, I struggle at the end of the year. I ran, out, I just ran out of gas. But mm-hmm. um, an amazing year that I'm totally just super excited for. And what's amazing is I, you know, you really don't learn anything in those moments. Like it's just a season of just enjoyment. It's really in the struggle that you learn and you grow, and God really makes you more and more into the image of Christ. Like. It's hard for like in the moment, oh, like when you're having so much success to be like, oh, okay, I need to change this, and I see that this isn't what I'm doing. You're just kind of like, no, it's 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 working, so I'm just going to keep going. But mm-hmm. when it's the tough grind and you know the three steps forward, two steps back, that's when you really learn. I mean, you th- look at Paul's life. I mean, in jail, out of jail, beaten, cru- you know, uh, shipwrecked, bitten by a snake, you know, thorn in his flesh the whole time, like. That's not the picture you want to paint if you want to follow somebody. You know what I mean? Hey, follow me, and you're going to get bitten by a snake. You know how does that sound? <laughs> yes. That's not ideal. You know, so yes. <laughs> that's what I love about the Bible is like yeah. if I was going to make up a story, I would not write what was in the Bible, right? Like I wouldn't have these people be a, like Peter's a mess, right? Like yep. Matthew's a mess, tax collector, Paul's a mess. These people that are messes, God uses to paint this beautiful picture. Yep. Um, and that's what he did, has done with me. It's because flowers grow in the valleys, mm. not on the mountaintops, mm. right? Amen you know? to that. So you then ultimately, after that breakout season, ultimately get traded again and and end up as an Arizona Diamondback. Yeah. So um, real quick before I move on to Arizona, that year in 17 was one of the, one of the cool things that God did happen was we, we met this organization called Consider the Lily that rescues girls from uh, sexual abuse homes and sex trafficking in the mm. Philippines. Mm. And we had went down there, my wife and I, to the Philippines and saw these girls and we're like, you go down there and there's no way you can't, you can't get involved anymore, right? Like you can't turn your eye uh, away from it. And um, that year we said, we made a pledge and we said, for every homer we hit, we're going to donate $1,000 to Consider Lily. And of course, I hit uh, you know the career high in homers, which was so awesome. Unfortunately, we did it again the next year, and I hit five homers, so it doesn't always work out that way. But it was really cool to be able to to, to get behind that, and that, awesome. that whole trend started. And we'll do that the rest of my career, no matter how many homers I hit. But 
uh, it was cool that they got behind that. So, um, but fast forwarding back to your question, we get traded and completely unexpected. Like uh, I'd been called in the off season and like they were dumping everybody. And they're like, you're not going anywhere. We want you to stay here. We need, you know, someone in the clubhouse. And I'm like, awesome. Like, at least I know I'm staying here. And then my grandpa had a heart attack that spring. And so I flew back. I was there down down there early. I flew back home um, to be with him because it was really bad. He needed triple bypass surgery. Mm-hmm. And um, thankfully, I was able to see him one last time. And then um, go back home or go back to Tampa. The day I get there, I'm traded. And I got to go out to Arizona, which at the time was – I was uh, excited because um, Tampa was moving in a different direction, which didn't take them very long to move back in the winning direction, right? Like, yeah. um, But I could see the talent brewing behind, so I knew it wasn't going to take them very long. Um, and, and I knew a bunch of guys on in Arizona. I was like, yeah, there, there was like seven Christians on the team and like solid believers. I'm like, all right, Jesus, this is awesome, like – um, I get there and then again, like leaving Tampa, you see what God's done while you're there. Like you can't really see what he's doing. And, um, the things that people said, uh, not about me, but about the impact that Jesus had on their lives, uh, was awesome. And it was like, it was hard. Like it was way more emotional leaving Tampa than DC or yeah, than DC. And like, I knew those people in DC way longer. But there was people crying, and I was crying, and I was like, what is happening right now? Like, this shouldn't be this hard, you know? And um, it was just really cool to see the impact that God had on that community. And so, man, I go to Arizona, pumped. That team's, like, pegged to be in the playoffs and potentially for the World Series, and I'm supposed to be a big part of helping that team out after a breakout year. And spring training, I dive for a ball. I've dove thousands of times for balls. In spring training, I've dove hundreds of times, and I tear my pec, and it is just a grind from there on out. And it was misdiagnosed um, into a, like a grade one, and so I'm trying to come back. Grade ones, you can come back in a couple weeks. You're fine. So I'm trying to come back a couple weeks, and I'm playing catch, and it it completely tears. Wow. And so my arm is black and blue, and now I'm out for three months. Um, and so – what I expected to be, you know, just from here on out, you know, fairy tales and butterflies, again, is not fairy tales and butterflies. Um, and God just used this time to slow me down, slow me down and try and get my eyes back on, on him. And, and, and I did, and it was awesome. It was, it was one of the coolest spiritual years I've ever experienced. And it was one of the hardest baseball years. We would have 17 guys praying together before the game. I mean, that's ridiculous. Like, I don't know. I could go the rest of my career and not have more than five. Yeah. You know, so to have seventy-five percent of the team is insane. I mean, that's just not normal. Mm. Um, and the things that we did in the community and with the guys in the locker room um, was awesome. But from a worldly standpoint, we underwent expectations. We didn't make the playoffs. We really struggled in September. We didn't win the division. They would say it's a failure of the year. I would say it was one of the best years of my career. Mm. Um, we it was just it was awesome. So then you go into this coming year, and I'm healthy again. My my pec feels good, and I'm strong. I'm ready to go. I'm ready to get back out there and have a fun season. The Diamondbacks, you know, believe in me for another year. And I'm cruising through spring training, having a great spring training. And the second to last game of spring training, I'm scoring from second base. And uh, weirdly, I, I step on, sec- on home plate, run into probably about – 75 80 percent not full speed 
and I slip, and the next thing I know, I'm being catapulted in the air, and my knee is just in this excruciating pain. And, I mean, I knew from the get-go, like, my season was, at least half of it was over. You know, I'm in my mind, I'm like, maybe I just, you know, I'm not a doctor, so I'm like, maybe I just dislocated it, you know, or hyper-extended <laughs> hyper it. Knowing that if you dislocate your knee, your your career's probably over, so good thing I'm not a doctor. <laughs> um, and... The poor doctor, man, he was in the room and they did the, the x-ray and he's doing the test for ACL and all the LCL, MCL. And I remember the look on his face and before he even tells me, he goes, hey, do you want to know what I think? And I, I said, yeah, I want to know what you think. You're and, the doctor. Yeah, I don't want anybody else to tell me. And he goes, well, um, your ACL's gone. Um, your season's over. Um, but on top of that, your LCL's gone um, and your PCL may be gone too. And I said, what do you mean it may be gone? Like, it's either gone or it's not. He's like, it's just, it's a little looser than it should be. I, I can't really tell. There's a lot going on in your knee right now. So my season was over. It was one of the worst knee injuries in baseball. Um, I didn't tear my PCL. barely tore it, so it was able to regenerate itself and heal. Um, but, yeah, it was frustrating, you know. I, these expectations to come in and help the team, and I was excited for that, had just been ripped from me, like, out of nothing I could control, you know, and it was just um, the year before too was just trying to grind through a peck and I could barely lift my arm up some days. I couldn't stretch it out and I didn't tell anybody. I didn't know my wife. You asked my wife and there were some days where I was like, I don't know if I could lift my arm today, you know. Um, so I want to congratulate you on something. You're the first person I met I think has been more injured than me. <laughs> my last experience in the NFL. Perfect. I had a physical with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, and they put like the op game operation, right? The body, like they're like, okay, you need to document every injury you've ever had, <laughs> and you don't need to conceal anything, right? Because yeah. we have records, blah, blah, blah. So I start going through, I'm like, man, yeah, that, yeah, that okay. Yeah. Hip, thigh bruise, yeah. AC joints, rib cartilage, kidney bruise, concussions, dislocated finger, right? Like, yeah. But I think, bro, in talking to you for the last hour, I think you topped me. <laughs> Congratulations. Way it's to go. Not a, I don't know if I want to take that <laughs> oh, one. No, right that, that, is, that is special. Oh. You know what's amazing, though, about this, and people are going to hear this, you still have a joy for the Lord. Oh. There is still a joy for the Lord. The door opens, it closes. There's a five-year journey you should have never made it out of. And, you know, and, and bridges get, get healed and, and relationships are born and you go to another place and you foster a relationship and Christ is alive and you're seeing change and then he's going to move you to somewhere else yeah. to only tear your peck and to tear your ACL. Mm. It's, it's amazing. You know, the only thing I can say is that I would just keep diving into the word. And that was, that was my hope. That was my, my light. It was just like, I believe that Jesus says who he is. I believe um, what these words are saying to me, I've seen them be true. I know them to be true. And it, it, it warns you trial is coming for you. You're either going to be going through one, coming out of one or just entering one, you know, it's, it's gonna happen. And, uh, you know, first James talks about it, right? Um, I think it says, I don't know why I'm blanking on this first, but, uh, James one, right? About yeah. Perseverance. Yes. Perseverance. Testing uh, of our faith. Yes. Produces perseverance, perseverance, character, character, joy. And I needed it. Like you, mm. you think about where I was back when I was a kid and how far I was away from Jesus. Like these moments have only drawn me closer to him. Yeah. Um, and they've only just strengthened my trust in him and who he is. Um, and you're 30 now. 
And what's beautiful about this is we sit, and this is the first time we've ever met, is we sit here on this day. You don't know what's next for you. You're 30 years old. You've come off of a rash of injuries. You play in a league that no longer covets veteran players. No. They want young, controllable assets, cheap. And you find yourself now, I think just in the last week, I think I read about you, right? That you were non-tendered or something, whatever that means. Yeah. The Diamondbacks. Basically, they don't want you anymore. You know, we've had enough of you. (laughs) Yeah. Beat it. We've seen your injuries. We're done. You know? So now, I mean, you sit here and, you know, you've got, by the way, if we circle back to that story of the wedding, that beautiful girl you pursued. Yeah. Sister, is that now wife? No. Oh, Man, that would have been such a good story. No, but it's even oh. better, though. So you could delete that question. Make yeah. sure you mark that right there. I was thinking I was really keen on that. No, like, no. Oh, it's, circle back. It's even better, though, because it became so much more evident to me that, like, okay, that, that didn't even, like, pertain to me. Like, I was doing it for that reason, but now mm-hmm. I, I just want Jesus. Like, that's I, so cool. Yeah. It, that's funny. A lot of people ask, and I'm like, no, like, we don't even, I don't even, I haven't talked to her in, since that wedding, really. Yeah. So... Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, pretty amazing. But now you and your wife and your two young kids are sitting at this crossroads. Yeah. Now what? We just trust in the Lord. You know, this whole process has been kind of a weird one where another uncharted territory, I've always had a job walking into spring training and always had a starting job walking into spring training. Um, But through this whole process over the last month and a half, two months, I'd say, where we've just been kind of waiting to see what's going to happen, I've had just this incredible peace that surpasses all understanding you know Mm. i've uh i i just trust jesus right like i just know he's gonna take me where he needs me i am not gonna play one more day in the big leagues than jesus wants me to and that's just the truth of it and jesus doesn't make mistakes so if i can believe in those two things then he's gonna take me where he needs me if that's the double a then that's where i'm gonna go um if that's the triple a then that's where i need to go if i need to be on the bench that's my role now. Like that's what I'm supposed to be doing because that's what Jesus. That's where He needs me for His kingdom. Now, if I want to build my own kingdom, I'm going to sit here and say, you know, forget the Diamondbacks and 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 man, how dare they do that? But it's not about my kingdom. My kingdom's going to fall. You know, I'm here to, to build His, and so this is just a vessel. My time's going to end here on earth. My time's going to end in in the big leagues, and my life isn't dependent on the name I make in that game. And so with that, like, if I honestly believe that in my heart, then it doesn't matter what happens to me, right? Like, it it doesn't matter who persecutes me, what injuries I pertain. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Like, I can do anything for his kingdom that he needs me to do. And that's where I sit here now with this incredible peace is just that I know it's it's all going to work itself out. Now, it may not work itself out the way I want it to, but it's going to work it out for the way that God wants it to. Last thing um, is, and I love to end with this, with the different folks that have taken so much of their time to share their story as you have. How do you counsel that mom or dad that's got a young aspiring athlete? How do you counsel that kid that, you know, maybe you come across now, and I've met your friend, Brent Lillibridge, and what an amazing teacher he is. No doubt. Right, as he's just pouring into young, aspiring athletes and young, aspiring baseball players. Yeah. And maybe if you even see an old you, right, as he come across yeah. a 12 year old that just <laughs> that thinks he's got the world by the tail. <laughs> totally. Right. And that weakness is a vulnerability. Just the greatest, maybe, piece of counsel or advice that you would give to that parent, to that young kid, to that person that's listening and tuning into this today. You know, um, what I would say is that, you know, there's a book 
in the Bible, Ecclesiastes, that Solomon really talks about like he did everything under the sun. He he you know had thousands of concubines. He had the most money. I mean, he had wisdom that God gave him. He had everything you could ever want. And as an as a young athlete, sometimes you think I can get everything I ever wanted, or this is going to fulfill me. And what Solomon says is, it's all vanity. Like it's all vanity unless you have Jesus Christ, right? Like mm-hmm. that's all. That's all I would say is that this. It's fun to play baseball. It's fun to play football, soccer. These things are awesome. I mean, God created these things so that we could enjoy them, um, but to hold them with an open hand and not make them God, right? Like. Don't balance is good in life. Like you don't have to miss every Sunday at church um, because we have a baseball game. You know, sometimes you can miss a game. It's it's really okay. The team's gonna go on without you. And I promise you, you if you are meant to play in the big leagues or in the NFL, you still will play in the NFL. Um, but just to hold it with an open hand, I think that's one thing I've learned, um, and I wish I could counsel to my younger self is that don't make this life. You know, just use it as a vessel. Um, because at one point or another, the jersey's taken from all of us. And how you remembered um, is way more important than the stats you think about. You know, I, I don't want to crucify Jordan, but, you know, one of, the, one of the things that Jordan's Hall of Fame speech was, he was pointing out the people that, uh, you know, I, I proved you wrong with this and I did this to you. He flew in a guy that um, he made over the team to basically embarrass him and you know, it's great that he's known as the greatest basketball player ever, but what impact on people's lives are you going to have? You know, from from the point when you're seven to the point when you're thirty or forty or Tom Brady forty nine, maybe seventy. Who knows how long he's going to play? <laughs> but that's what I would say: is worry more about the character that you play with and the impact and why you're here and what you're supposed to be doing than your stats. And as a parent, embed that like. Don't be so quick to be like, son, you, you know, that we need to go work. You were 0 for 4 or you didn't catch up. You dropped all these balls. Just love your kids for who they are unconditionally. Mm-hmm. That's going to speak way more volumes and teach them way more than he, Johnny was an all-state, you know, wide receiver in 1974, you know, or 2019. We're two generations away from being forgotten. I mean, that's the reality of it. And so at the end of the day, uh, God's kingdom will last forever. Above and Beyond, the intersection of faith and sports. Subscribe to receive every episode at aboveandbeyondpodcast.com.